to None Dare Call It Ordinary, the podcast that digs into the unusual, unorthodox, and downright unsettling beliefs found at the depths of the internet and the heights of paranoia. I'm your host, Dylan, and with me is the ghostly Brent and the goblinish Forrest. <laughs> oh, 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 this is Halloween, so we're on theme. Yeah, wait, wrong, wrong. Mode. Yeah. Oh. Well, just a little bit of an homage to the NES game Ghosts and Goblins. <laughs> just want to, uh, you know, give the listeners that. I figured they would appreciate it. And this episode is our final episode of 2019. Oh. You believe it's been an entire wow. year, but we will be returning the first of the year with a brand new episode, so you don't have to wait too long. So in the meantime, you can celebrate Christmas or hate Christmas, whichever <laughs> direction you want to take that. So yeah, speaking of that, what are we what are we actually talking about today, Dylan? Well, given the season we're in, we felt it was only appropriate that we dive into the history of the war on Christmas. Because this isn't something that was just invented by Fox News conservatives. This is something that's been going on for a while. In fact, it may surprise our listeners to find out that the war on Christmas has been going on for nearly a century. The first great American <laughs> to sound the alarm about the attack was none other than Henry Ford. In editorials for the Dearborn Independent, a newspaper he himself owned, Ford alerted us to the true enemy in the war on Christmas. That's right, the Jews. Henry Ford, the great innovator in everything except his conspiracy theories. <laughs> yeah, he just took whatever was laying around the shop, so to speak. And these editorials were so important that they were collected in a four-volume work entitled The International Jew, The World's Foremost Problem, which is, <laughs> I mean, just pretty incredible wow. for a title. But funny story, neither Jew nor Christian won the war on Christmas in Dearborn itself, which now has the largest Muslim population of any American city. So good for you, Dearborn. You didn't buy into this stuff. So, OK, the, the international Jew is the world's foremost problem, not the American Jew. That's true. That's they're all they, you know, just because they're not in the United States doesn't mean Henry Ford is mighty upset about them. <laughs> But now, lest you think that such a title is a good indicator that Ford is maybe a little anti-Semitic. He is. He had the decency in the book of including both Gregorian and Jewish dates so not so as to not offend the sensibilities of his Jewish readers. How nice of him. I don't know. I'm just personally trying to wrap my mind around Jewish people reading this book at all. Like, go, what are they, shopping at their local bookstore thinking, oh, let's see, why am I the world's foremost problem? I've really been curious about this. Let's, let's, <laughs> let me read about this. I mean, I, fe I feel like if I was Jewish and I saw that book, I would have to read it. Like, That's wow, true. I didn't realize. Kind of calling too. I didn't realize. I realized I was a problem, didn't realize I was number one. One. That's that's a tall order to fill. Henry Ford knows wow. things about me even I didn't know. Exactly. Also, as to the charge of anti-Semitism, Ford bravely informs us, quote, there is no such thing as anti-Semitism. No, no Jewish rights have ever been interfered with in America. Wow. The expression is a euphemism for a campaign to interfere with non-Jewish rights. Uh -huh. okay. See a bit of a bit of a flipperoo. Yeah. Flip. Now, what? What non-Jewish rights is Ford alluding to? Among other things, the right to celebrate Christmas. Mm. What Jewish groups want is the, quote, elimination of Christmas celebrations in public schools and public places, police stations, and so on, 
public displays of Christmas trees, singing of Christmas carols, and Christian hymns. All right, so belief in a secular government equals Jewish supremacy. Got it. Got it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. Okay. You know, I'm not Jewish, guys, and I, I, you know, I'm a fan of Christmas and all. It's fine. But I have to wonder if Ford would thank me evil that I hate how fucking early stores like, you know, Michael's or Hobby Lobby put up their goddamn Christmas displays. Even, I mean, Halloween's not even over and the shit's happening. They skip right over Thanksgiving. It's fucking an abomination. So you know, I Brent, I'm, I'm yeah. glad you, you're bringing up the war on Thanksgiving that nobody <laughs> is talking about. So thank you. Yeah, but true. I mean, I mean, in defense of Hobby Lobby here, whoa, given their whoa. deep Christian faith, I can imagine why they just want to skip over that whole that's Halloween true. thing and get right that's to the point. birth of the Lord. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Now, Ford gives us some examples of the machinations of the Jewish groups in his day. One is Kahila, which was a, a Jewish organization in the early 1920s in New York City. They campaigned for the Kindergarten Association in New York to stop celebrations of Christmas. So, okay, they're banning Christmas celebrations in police stations. You mentioned that earlier. And now kindergartens? You know, mm, guys, yep. this may call for some sort of kindergarten cop uh, to sort this out. So um, oh, 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 oh. I believe kindergarten cop was a deep anti-Semitic <laughs> allegory. Sadly, I think uh, <laughs> I think we're going to have to cancel kindergarten cop. It's, it's not the Jewish conspiracy. Second, they also protested the singing of Christian hymns in public schools in Chicago. So New York mm. and Chicago. Wow. And lastly, a Jewish rabbi, quote, compelled three public school principals to no longer celebrate Christmas in school or have Christmas trees. Now, I was really interested in what Ford meant by compelled. Like, did he hold him at gunpoint, for example, or did he, you know, <laughs> did he have the power to get him thrown in jail? Well, based on a later description of this same event, compelled for Henry Ford apparently just means asked. Oh, and you <laughs> wow. know, Henry Henry Ford should know better than anyone that only the power of Christ compels him. Yeah, because it's that that line is a lot less interesting if it's the power of Christ asks you, because that's not nearly as authoritative. The power of Christ asks you nicely. <laughs> the power of Christ is a request to do something. I bring not a sword, but an invitation. <laughs> not just not it doesn't have the same, you know, <laughs> doesn't have the same force. So here, here's how, here's the second way Ford described this situation. Quote, at the request of a rabbi, three principals of Roxbury, Massachusetts public schools agree to banish the Christmas tree and omit all references to the season in their schools. So as we can see here, this is the most dastardly trick of the Jew asking for something and then having someone agree to it. That's, wow. I mean... Disgusting. If you want a true definition of the evil of the international Jew, it's asking and then receiving. It's it's terrible. Clearly, all of these tactics suggest that, quote, the Christmas literature of American Judaism is fiercer than the flames of the Inquisition. Oh, wow. Nobody expects the American Jewish writers. <laughs> yeah, again, doesn't have the same force. So Ford doesn't think this is just about Christmas, but rather the promotion of a far more thorough and sinister idea, namely, quote, the full constitutional rights of Jews demands that we affect the complete secularization of the public institutions of the country. <sighs> now, for now, let's ignore let's ignore hmm. for now that this claim is completely true. <laughs> According to Ford, Jews don't really just want secularization, really, quote, Secularization mm. is preparatory to Judaization. After all, quote, 
The third step observable in Jewish activities is the actual exaltation of Judaism as a recognized and specially privileged system. The program is the now familiar one where the Jewish program is found. First, establishment. Second, destruction of all that is non-Jewish or anti-Jewish. Third, exaltation of Judaism in all its phases. I enjoy how Jewish supremacy makes the first step to secularism before creating a Jewish pseudo-theocracy. I guess the Jews are just so silly that they go out of their way to make it as difficult as possible to achieve their goals. Well, actually, Ford addresses this because the Jewish leaders know that Americans aren't willing to just go straight to a Judaized, Judaized society. And so they have to first secularize everything. Yeah, it's like a societal like palate cleanser or something exactly that's exactly right we gotta wipe christianity out and then in the void we can we can stick the 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 torah in there yeah okay in a a, a predominantly christian country we're gonna do that yes no no problem of course now if you are if you are one of our truly blind and ignorant listeners you probably think that this extreme anti-jewish paranoia is so untethered from reality as to be beyond any kind of reasonable engagement well Would you believe that Ford actually has evidence for this claim? Plot twist. The Jews, once again, used their most dangerous tactic of asking for something and requested that night schools not hold evening classes on Fridays when the Sabbath starts and even asked businesses they worked in to close on Jewish holidays. The horror! I got chills. This is horrifying. It feels more like this should be our Halloween episode. I don't know what... Yeah, this is why I had the ghosts and goblins talk at the beginning. (laughs) Dylan's choice of adjectives is finally starting to make sense. Horror. Horror. This is... This is really compelling evidence of uh, Henry Ford's uh, thesis here, Dylan. Yeah, this is how you know. This This is the proof that they're trying to create a a purely Jewish society. They want the day off, but it it gets worse. It gets oh even worse. Oh my God. Oh the New York God. post office again was compelled, his word, to allow Ask. Jews to take off Jewish holidays, but couldn't offer the same to Christians on Christmas, New Year's, or Good Friday, because what otherwise they the would be swamped fuck? with mail. And now... <laughs> I got to say, I got to say, I don't want to be too critical, but I was unaware that New Year's was a Christian holiday. I, I didn't know that. So the only explanation is that the post office simply doesn't allow anyone to take off New Year's. And this is just sophistry. But, you know, it's fun either way. Yeah, I, c- I can understand like postal workers needing to work for Christmas due to the shit ton of packages being shipped around. But who the hell mails gifts on Good Friday or New Year's? It's like, oh, you don't my Good Friday you don't, gift. You don't send out Good Friday cards every year? <laughs> I don't, strangely enough. Now, I, I, I sense that some of you still aren't convinced. So if you need further proof, just go to your local Hallmark. <laughs> I'm sure you'll find the same thing that Henry Ford did. Quote, last Christmas, most people had a hard time finding Christmas cards that indicated in any way that Christmas commemorated someone's birth. Hmm. Even in this business... One comes upon the same policy of declaring anti-Semitic everything that is Christian. Wow. So I think uh, Henry Ford amazingly just surpassed Alex Jones by saying the most false thing ever quoted on this podcast. So big round of applause <laughs> to Mr. Ford. Good job, Mr. Ford. Thank you, Mr. Ford. Good job. Now, because Christianity, including the celebration of Christmas, is in fact anti-Semitic, because of course that's what our society teaches us, Christian paranoia is forced to an absurd degree. Quote, we are asking whether we dare 
as Christians in a Christian land whisper the name that gives Christmas its meaning. <laughs> to please the sensitive Jewish natures, we must eradicate from Christian civilization all that is Christian in it. Oh, no, man. This time of year is really perfect for a bunch of snowflakes. And I think Henry Ford is one of the most giant snowflakes. I guess. Yeah, this uh, is the Christmas hero. Someone said happy holidays to him once and he wrote this whole fucking like huge book. You know if Henry Ford is around today, Dave Rubin would have him on his show for sure. Oh, totally. He'd totally interview him. And they'd be calling everyone else snowflakes. Now, maybe Henry Ford isn't right. What? I'm just going to say maybe because the Snopes article on the war on Christmas has a slightly different take than Henry Ford. Quote, what Ford called Jewish opposition to Christmas was actually boiled down to a few instances of Jewish leaders challenging the teaching of Christianity in public schools. All right, clearly you've learned nothing, Dylan. Snopes is obviously run by the Jews, don't you (laughs) see? (laughs) Don't you see it? I don't know about that claim. I should snope it. Yeah, I'm not sure, but... Probably false. Anyway, there's Henry Ford is the beginning, but not the end of the story. The Mm. war on Christmas cooled down for a few decades, especially Mm, since during that whole World War II Holocaust thing, it was kind of it was kind of went out of vogue. Yeah, the whole like incredible (laughs) anti-Semitism kind of went out of style. There were definitely anti-Semites, but they weren't incredible anti-Semites in the way that Henry Ford was. (laughs) Just <laughs> they, they, they probably it was, know it was like a bad after, look. after after Hitler to say this is the world's <laughs> foremost problem. It's like, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, number one. I don't even know if if Hitler thought it was number one. I mean, he, you know, it's like, well, I need bullets. So that's, you know, the Jews are number two. I need bullets. I need oil. So really, Jews are number three at this point. If, if even Hitler doesn't think it's the foremost problem, then yeah, don't. <laughs> But as we know, even though, sadly, the war on Christmas had to be put on hold, it wasn't put on hold forever, as we know. The war on Christmas picked up in the 1950s, caused in part by an increase in Christian religiosity. The mid-50s feature the highest church attendance in American history, with nearly half of all Americans going to church on Sunday, or at least telling whoever did the survey. Church membership went from 57% in 1950 to 63.3% in 1960. This Christian awakening also provoked a now common phrase for any Christian soldier to enter the lexicon, putting Christ back in Christmas. I noticed you said Christian soldier, but same thing. Christmas soldier. Oh yeah, definitely Christmas soldier. Yeah, that's Christian soldier. That's a different, (laughs) that's a different song. Actually, I I actually prefer to do this to other holidays, like, you know, put labor back in Labor Day. People should go to work. Yeah, that exactly. Day. Put Arbor back in Arbor I, I, Day. People I, should become trees. Kidding. Put the Hallows Eve back in <laughs> Halloween. Mm, yes. <laughs> Ooh, good idea. One expression of this kind of newfound desire for an increased public display of Christianity was a statement by the National Council of the Churches of Christ, who explicitly called for religious teaching in public schools. Quote, it is expected that public schools shall teach that religion is an essential aspect of our national heritage and culture that this nation subsists under the governance of God and that our moral and ethical values rest upon religious grounds and sanctions. To do otherwise would be to distort history. Oh, I, I agree. I totally a distortion. If I, you know, if I know anything, it's that James Madison, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams would totally agree with this. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh wait, yeah. sorry. Oh, oh, wait, sorry. No, no, no. I, I'm my mistake. They believe the opposite. Oh. Who cares? I mean, I mean, they only invented the country. Who gives yeah, a fuck with those bozos? Exactly. <laughs> To say, who cares? Yeah. 
What do they know? You know, I only respect presidents who destroy the country. Like somebody he's I'm making it right greater now. and keeping it great simultaneously. Now, while the <laughs> National Council was concerned with distorting history, others were concerned with distorting the Constitution, which is also oh. a problem that we should probably avoid. Ooh. Oh, I mean, come on! Look, who cares if the Constitution makes no mention of God and bars Congress from engaging the creation of religious laws? I mean, it's clearly a theocratic document and. Any other understanding of that is a distortion of history. Yeah, and all I know about the U.S. Constitution, all I know is that it says President Trump can do whatever he wants. So you're That's getting the best, the best facts on this podcast. From the Constitution. Only facts on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Constitution right. is a dialethic document, as uh, yeah. we've taught on our bonus <laughs> episode. So it does entail that he could do whatever he wants. That is actually true. And you don't know what dialethism means out there, do you? So you better fucking sign up for Patreon so you can listen to sign that up. shit. Now yeah. you understand. $5 a month, you'll learn what dialethism is because I'm sure that's that's the draw. That's the draw <laughs> of the Patreon. <laughs> We're such great marketers. Learn what dialethism means. Incredible. No, the best. Not, one, not one person cares. Jules Cohen, national coordinator for the prominent Jewish organization, the National Community Relations Advisory Council, said, quote, the principle of separation of church and state is under attack from many quarters and in a variety of ways. This all came to a head in 1957 over a nativity scene in a public high school in Osinning, New York. Uh, and note that you can't spell Osinning without sinning. So keep that in mind. The school board... <laughs> The school board initially approved the display, but rescinded their approval after complaints that a nativity scene in a public school would violate the First Amendment. One person not at all happy about this was Reverend Frank Klansman, I mean, excuse me, Klausman of Osinning Heights Church, who, quote, charged that the members of the Board of Education, in the name of tolerance, have committed an act of intolerance oh. so remember remember we have to sum up a little bit here asking for something is coercion True. and resisting christian theocracy is actually instituting anti-christian fascism so i just if you take nothing but that away you will be richer for it <laughs> thank you for clearing that up for me <laughs> you're welcome you're welcome now, while I'm sure there were plenty of dupes who might have believed that all this anti-Christmas propaganda was in the name of the First Amendment, the John Birch Society in the late 1950s was not at all fooled. They understood the truth. The war on Christmas was just another part of the international Jewish communist conspiracy. <laughs> and fun fact, actually, fun fact about the John Birch Society was that they were started by candy maker Robert Welch. So this oh. is all probably just a ruse to protect Christmas candy sales. I think that's really <laughs> the heart of this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, it sure as hell wasn't Willy Wonka. We all know he was an evil communist. Oh, oh absolutely, to quote, absolutely. To quote the street sweeper guy from the Willy Wonka movie, nobody ever goes in, nobody ever comes out. <laughs> Sounds exactly like a communist country. I think we need a program for Oompa Loompa refugees, personally, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. The most explicit statement of the John Birch Society's views on the matter is the article, There Goes Christmas, by Hubert Kriegelow. And I have to say it that way because it has a question mark followed by an exclamation mark. The chief ally and possible dupe of communism enlisted in these anti-Christian shenanigans are those determined to install a worldwide government, so-called one-worlders. <laughs> Quote, American one-worlders are determined to exploit even the holiest of Christian observances to make it a propaganda vehicle 
for the unholiest of organizations, the United <laughs> Nations. The most unholy. For Now, for a group that was as obsessed with communism the way Ford was obsessed with Jews, that is really saying something. <laughs> you know. They're dastardly. Yeah, they're bad. Yep, yep. The UN's evil ways. We know about this, putting up obscure plaques in national parks. Listen to Alex Jones series that we have and you'll know more. They're scary. Yeah. And the mock UN just, you know, propaganda all the way yep. up. Uh, you know, I got to say, I know schools had mock UN, but they should have gone all the way with mock Roman Coliseum. <laughs> Go, you know, just all the way. With the anti-Christian bigotry, let's just... I hope in. I get to play one of the mock lions. <laughs> yeah. That's what I want to do. That's what you get to be. After distracting himself with a bunch of evil UN stuff unrelated to Christmas in this article, Kriegelo is finally able to get back on task and explain the dastardly plot for the UN to, quote, intrude on the celebration of our great national and religious holidays and thereby obscure the traditional meaning of these occasions. Now... I don't normally do this. I'm kind of against <sighs> this, but some of our listeners may not be able to handle listening to the despicable schemes Trigger the warning. UN enacted to destroy <laughs> the holiest day of the year. I, you know, I, 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 I feel that everyone should experience the truth, but I also recognize that some people just aren't ready. Yep. And so <laughs> I just want to warn you that, you know, if you're driving, you know, if you're, you know, you know, very ill, for example, you might not be, you might not be physically able. To hear get the it, children so. out of the room. Yes, please. Get the children out of the room. The UN and a brazen act of unholy subterfuge of Christmas, quote, urged us to buy UNICEF Christmas cards. Oh my God. Oh my that God. It's so I want to wash my mouth out just saying that. Egregious. What Terrible. the fuck is next? Like, what's next? And UN meeting will be at your local Hallmark. This is just <laughs> things. This is horrible. Oh, my God. So, all right. <laughs> of course, these Christmas cards don't actually mention Christ. And one of the artists involved in the project is even a member of a, quote, impressive number of communist front groups. It just <laughs> impressive. Wow. What would be an impressive number of communists? I'm going to say 52. 52 is impressive. That's that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of work. And if everyone as everyone learned from our Lyndon LaRouge series, Communist front groups were always at war with each other. Yeah. So you couldn't really yeah, be a member of all of them. So it's kind of strange. But the most despicable <laughs> thing about these cards is that one is explicitly Christian. Oh, okay. And, well. and it features a depiction of the Virgin Mary holding the baby Jesus. But get, oh, okay. get ready to vomit forever because this okay. card in all its communist fury refers to the Virgin Mary as the quote universal mother. The UN promoting the UM, the oh. fucking horror. That is just oh, disgusting. The um, <laughs> the um, again, scary. You know, e even with the warning I gave up top, I got to, I have to apologize to our listeners. <laughs> I mean, we shouldn't even have to mention that an international organization, <laughs> an organization including member nations of many non-Christians would dare sell Christmas cards <laughs> that did not drip the blood of Christ. We shouldn't even have to mention that, but. We had oh, to. We had man. to for the sake yeah. of Christmas. Yeah, Dylan. No, those. I think those are Good Friday greeting cards. If I'm not mistaken, oh, the ones that are dripping with Christ blood. Oh, oh, oh yeah. then no, it's fine. Say no more, Dylan. I th this might be like Bird Box, and people listening to this just by listening to these words like kill themselves. <laughs> so you need to just reel it back yeah. with all the horror here. It's just too much. I'm sorry. Well, but so actually, um, it gets worse. It gets no worse. No way. Yeah. <sighs> Because while this is horrifying enough, there is a, a second prong 
to the one-worlder attack on Christmas and our precious Christian fluids, quote, Department stores throughout the country are to utilize UN symbols and emblems as Christmas decorations. I, uh, Apparently, at least one large department store in Christmas of 1958, quote, made conspicuous use of UN paraphernalia in its Christmas decorations. One. And I was very curious about what what they were talking about. And so I did a little research. And so the best I could find was that right now you could buy UNICEF Christmas ornaments and they feature it's like the earth and there's a, you know, a dove of peace on it. And then there's children holding hands around the earth, you know, of different nationalities and religions. And so, you know, if it was that kind of shit, I could see why Greg Olo was so upset because that is disgusting. That's disgusting behavior. It is very, very gross. But Greg Olo and the John Birch Society do not think we are defeated despite these despicable acts. With a concerted letter-writing campaign, the good Christians of 1959 could fight back against the globalization of Christmas as long as they followed a few <laughs> simple guidelines. First, quote, <laughs> express your sentiments clearly but courteously. There is no point in sounding hysterical because what you are writing about hasn't happened. Also, wow. also, quote, Avoid anything which might help these UN salesmen to dismiss the letter writers as, quote, crackpots. So, yeah, I was about to say, so just avoid talking at all. Maybe. Plus, I like the first point there. It kind of reminds me of the whole Alex Jones thing of like, this is a revolution. New World Order is going to put you in concentration camps. But, you know, don't don't shoot anyone or anything. Yeah, yeah, don't keep your guns at home. Most importantly of all, all anti-communists and true Americans need to recognize the real goals here because mm. the end game isn't to sell Christmas cards or decorate department stores. I would hope not. The goal, the goal is nothing more than to, quote, destroy uh, all religious belief and customs. Oh, uh, wait, wait, wait. Except Judaism. Let's not be PC about who the one worlders really are, Dylan. Come on. Well, I think, oh, that's good see, point. I think the John Birch Society, I think they're trying to practice that courteousness thing because, you know, they're, you know, they don't want to scare people too much. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Craig Olo ends his article with this quote, allow these one worlders to get their metamorphosis of our Christmas celebration underway. And we shall wind up in due course with instead of Christmas, something called the United Nations Brotherhood Festival or Sexist. the quote or the one world peace festival. And there will not be an ounce of real brotherhood or peace in a century of such affairs. We shall merely have taken one more of the steps insidiously planned for us in the Bolshevization of the United States wow. and the world. Mm. It should have went with the Rainbow Festival. Too bad it's already taken. Well, it wasn't taken then, I don't think, because this is 1959. So the U.N. Oh, really. True. Yeah, it's older. Yeah, that's they should have really went with that. I agree. Yeah, they missed the ball on that yeah, one. Yeah. And again, there's a bit of a lull. Sadly, people did not really take the heat of the John Birch Society, but it started heating back up in the 70s and 80s. And Brent has more to say about that. That's right. So according to a Snopes article on the war on Christmas during the 1970s into the 1980s, many godless Americans began to grow more sensitive and respectful towards religious diversity and varying ethnicities. A.K.A. began to grow weaker and more pathetic. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I want to, you know, editorialize that truthfully. That's exactly yeah. right. Thanks for saying like it is, Dylan. Yeah, you're welcome. Also, due to the rise of secularism, a.k.a. godlessness, Many concerned Americans were writing letters to the editor and newspapers complaining that saying happy holidays was replacing Merry Christmas. 
So the big department stores continue to maximize their profits using Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas to reach a diversifying consumer base. And this is something that I think is really important to say. All claims that businesses do something because they're trying to pollute the culture or whatever are false. They do everything for money. Ooh. That's why they say Happy Holidays. That's why they have whatever. They want money. They want your money. That's all they care about. That's true. So court rulings at the time reaffirmed the separation of church and state by mandating the non-preferential treatment of any particular one religion in public schools. So in the Snopes article, there is a great quote from an article written by the Los Angeles Times written in 1984 that encapsulates the time period very well. Quote, when Danube Avenue Elementary School presented its first holiday program 25 years ago, it all seemed so easy. Most of the students were Anglo and Christian and the tone of the times dictated that those who didn't celebrate Christmas would do their best to blend in with the majority. But times have changed, and so has Danube. The school is now attended by Latinos, Asians, Christians, and Jews. Some students traveled to the Granada Hills campus from central Los Angeles neighborhoods where little English is spoken, and Christmas celebrations don't include visions of sugar plums. Mm. So that's a slam. And the sensibilities of the 1980s state that the cultural traditions of all ethnic groups deserve equal time in the classroom. Disgusting. Okay, so I know it's hard to envision a pre-I like beer Kavanaugh Supreme Court, (laughs) but let's do it. Okay, we must because in the 1980s, the Supreme Court ruled that the Ten Commandments cannot be posted in public schools as it is unconstitutional. So I guess now we know what the Establishment Clause Command meant. I'm proud of that one. So in 1985, Wallace v. Jaffrey case, the Supreme Court ruled six to three that Alabama's, quote, moment of silence, which was, quote, for meditation or voluntary prayer, violated the First Amendment's establishment clause. But those evil men and women in black cloaks weren't done just yet. Because in 1987, they ruled against teaching creation science alongside evolution. It just keeps going. In 1987, in Allegheny County, the ACLU, the Supreme Court ruled that it is unconstitutional to display a nativity scene on public property. (laughs) It's hard to say that. So all these pro-secular separation of church and state rulings happened under the surge of evangelical Christian conservatism with the election of Ronald Reagan. So I bet they really liked it. Oh, yeah. I bet they liked all of this. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. so that's the 80s now. okay. so during the height of the culture wars in the 1990s, we're entering a new decade here. Peter Brimelow, the Fortune magazine editor, fought bravely by displaying his outrage that retailers like Amazon.com use the phrase happy holidays. So the Daily Beast interviewed Brimelow, quote, I just got real interested in the issue because I noticed over the years there is a social shift taking place where people no longer said Merry Christmas. So Brimelow put his rage pen to page (laughs) by writing a book in 1995 called Alien Nation. Mm. It's all about how aliens from outer space secretly walk among us. Oh, oh, oh wait, that's oh. wrong. That would be obviously more fun, but <laughs> that's not the case. Okay, but no, that's all fun. But it said it's about, quote, the influx of weird aliens with dubious habits from developing nations, eroding America's white Christian ethnic core, and in turn, sullying its cultural underpinnings. Oh. Brimelow wrote, quote, the root cause in all cases is the same. 
an American elite which is increasingly divergent culturally and even ethnically from the rest of the country. Mm. Brimelow calls these elites the, quote, minority occupied government. Yeah, I mean, so, this makes sense know. because when I think of, you know, when I think of the kind of ethnic minorities of this country, I definitely my first my the first word I think of is elite. They're definitely oh, sure. yeah. the people who really control they things control in this all. country yeah. are definitely the ethnic minorities. That's right. Also, just um, <laughs> in case uh, in case you're unaware, kind of minority occupied government is just a you know, it's a shade different than Zionist occupied mm. government, which is just hardcore kind of Henry Ford level anti-Semitism. So he's just, you know, he's whitewashing it a baby bit. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, just wanted to point that out. All right. So Brian Lowe considered the war on Christmas, the multicultural, quote, struggle to abolish America. Wow. So, OK, guys, little known fact. I need to. I'm sorry. So I need happy- to, we need to kind of write a book uh, that's about the struggle to abolish hyperbole. I think yes. we need that book. Out there. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> that, that, that's the struggle of this podcast. So Brimelow approached his friend John O'Sullivan, who is the editor of the conservative magazine The National Review, with a brilliant concept to host, quote, an annual competition for the most egregious attempt to suppress Christmas. Good times. Fun times. Getting competitive. Even though O'Sullivan loved Brimelow's idea, this never came to fruition. Ah, Sad. Because of one small problem. O'Sullivan was replaced as the editor of The National Review on Christmas Eve in 1997 by Rich Lowry. It was a Christmas miracle. Mm, (laughs) Yeah. And and when when the intervention of rich, clearly nationalism is working out fine, Lowry is a Christmas miracle. You know, something has gone terribly wrong. (laughs) You know, they say God works in mysterious ways. And I guess that's just another example of it. Okay, guys, let's bring this into the 21st century. And I think the best person as we would all agree, to bring us into this 21st century, is Bill O'Reilly. Fuck it! We'll do it this century! (laughs) The 20th century fucking sucked! (laughs) Fuck it! Alright, so December 7th, 2004, to be exact, yes, the day that will live in infamy, not because of Pearl Harbor, but because of the war on Christmas. Much more important. Of course. straight. This is the exact date that the O'Reilly Factor aired its monumental segment called Christmas Under Siege. All right, come on. Monumental is an understatement. Like Klaus Kinski, there's no heap of praise too excessive for Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly said to his viewers, quote, all over the country, Christmas is taking flack. In Denver, this past week, no religious floats were permitted in the holiday parade there. Wait, 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 wait. What side is Bill O'Reilly on here? It's a Christmas parade sir not a holiday parade i don't understand slipping up slipping up bill okay continue with the quote here in new york city mayor bloomberg unveiled the holiday tree and no christmas symbols are allowed in the public schools federated department stores have done away with the christmas greeting merry christmas Mm. yet another great reason we can't have bloomberg as president so that's just oh yeah the political article gives us some context of the time period we were in in american history quote This was three years after September 11th attack, two years after Fox had overtaken CNN to become the nation's most watched cable news channel, and 20 months since the United States invaded Iraq, and one year after George W. Bush defeated John Kerry after a campaign focused so intensely on gay marriage that it is now hard to comprehend. The newest round of the culture wars was in full swing. Oh, yes. I remember this. This is the origin story of idiocracy. (laughs) Yes. It's also known as the time when nothing important was going on so we could spend all of our energy making up something about Christmas. There's no yes. no other it's matters so of national importance. It's none, always weird to clearly. me. My, so my family, they, they watch Fox News, sadly. Um, 
And they're always like, well, we don't like to talk about politics, but it's, you know, especially like this time of year. But it's like they watch this and it's just nonstop. You know, it's like nonstop anger during during the holiday season. Good times. All right. So Bill O'Reilly wasn't the only brave general in the modern front of the war on Christmas. Meet Peggy Noonan. She was a Wall Street Journal columnist who wrote in December of 2003 that her snobbish Upper East Side neighbors disdain for her Virgin Mary figurine was evidence that, quote, the meaning and actuality of 9-11 has receded. Wait, okay, so, so. wait, 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 what? <laughs> so the meaning and actuality of 9-11 has receded. I, I didn't know the actuality could recede. I think we need our resident <laughs> philosopher, Dylan, to answer this one. What is going on here, Dylan? I don't know. I'm just grateful that 9-11 didn't actually happen anymore <laughs> since it receded into the sea of mere possibility. That's lovely. It's a lovely image. 9-11, never forget. You know, you can't forget something that never actually happened. <laughs> That's true. (laughs) It's a good way to never forget. Yeah. But make no mistake, Bill O'Reilly was the general patent in the war on Christmas. O'Reilly charged that, quote, secular progressives realize that America, as it is now, will never approve of gay marriage, partial birth abortion, euthanasia, legalized drugs, income redistribution through taxation, and many other progressive visions because of religious opposition. But if the secularists can destroy religion in the public arena... The brave new progressive world is a possibility. That's what happened in Canada. Oh, so. no. <laughs> Canada. Yeah. When I think of brave new world, I think of that Canada. fucking hellscape Canada. What's really funny about this is that Hubert Kriegelow from the John Birch Society, he makes exactly the same argument that the Reds want to destroy religion mm-hmm. because they know that's the only thing that stands in the way of a communist takeover that once they can destroy religion, they can foist <laughs> communism and all that gross stuff on us instead. A fellow soldier in the Righteous Christmas Army was Pat Buchanan, who stated that any repression on Christmas should be considered, quote, hate crimes against Christianity. Wait, wait. I thought hate crimes were nonsense to these guys. I mean, make up your minds. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Which is it? Come on. All right. So many great Christmas warriors wrote military manuals warning of the Christmas siege. Sarah Palin wrote, good tidings and great joy. Protecting the heart of Christmas. It's a classic. With right wing and gun clinging proud clingers <laughs> of our Christmas. <laughs> That's the opening chapter. Also, John Gibson, a then Fox News host, miss that guy, wrote a book in 2005 called The War on Christmas, How the Liberal Plot to Ban the Sacred Christian Holiday is Worse Than You Thought. I bet it's not. No, it's bad. <laughs> Just going to put that out there. In this, in this classic work of literature, he writes, quote, The Christians are coming to retake their place in the public square, and the most natural battleground in this war is Christmas. Again, I'd like to suggest the natural battleground is the Roman Colosseum. <laughs> that one, I think, is the most Bring natural. Bring it back. Bring it back. This went on and on and was a staple on Fox News as the 2005 holiday season rolled in. I'm sorry, Christmas season. Sorry. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Um, that's, yeah. Reverend Jerry Falwell and his Liberty Council joined with the Alliance Defense Fund to fight this ban on Christmas good cheer. The next target of the brave Christmas soldiers was Target. The American Family Association called for a boycott of Target due to the store not using the word Christmas in their advertising. You know, okay, so Target explained that there was, quote, no trend or intent to ban the use of Christmas in our holiday advertising and marketing. Yeah, you know what? Sure. Sounds like something a baby Jesus-hating corporation would say, but that's... Oh, man. I don't want to, you know, disparage their good name. Yeah, I mean, it also sounds like something a corporation with smart marketers would say. So it could be either or. Either or. (laughs) One or the other. So Fox News Blonde number 78. Whoa, 79. Let's be accurate. Oh, that's right. Come on. 
I yeah. can't remember. Yeah, what the number was. All yeah, right, you so forgot. You forgot Kelly. Bill O'Reilly. You forgot Bill O'Reilly. He's he's seventy eight. <laughs> he is. Oh, he's okay. technically a blonde. Yes. Uh, okay. So Megan Kelly assured her audience that quote for all your kids watching at home, Santa just is white. Just because it makes you feel uncomfortable doesn't mean it has to change. Jesus was a white man too. Uh huh. In 2004, televangelist Pat Robertson said on his program addressing all the Christmas haters, quote, go to Saudi Arabia, let them go to Pakistan. Yeah, they can go to the Sudan and find a wonderful Muslim holiday. Or just come to Detroit. It'll be great. Yeah, it'll be fine. Bill O'Reilly, not to be overshadowed by Pat Robertson, said to a Jewish person who phoned into his radio show, if you have a problem with Christmas, quote, you got to go to Israel then. Wow. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Peter Brimelow pops back up on the scene to chastise the evil left wing Jewish leader of the Happy Holidays Regiment, John Stewart. That Mm. bastard. And his countless parodies and jokes about the war on Christmas itself. He said Stewart's statements are, quote, mostly an irrelevant but uninhibited expression of Jewish alienation and Christophobia. I'm just I'm really glad Brimelow is bringing us the important news about someone who is irrelevant. Yeah. I'm glad that's what we need to hear. <laughs> I'm also sick of people just using the term exphobia, whatever phobia, fill in the blank. It's Christophobia. Let's yeah. put Christ back in Christophobia. So sadly, not every conservative was a brave warrior in the Great War. <sighs> Wreath Dodger, Washington Post columnist George Will said, quote, not every skirmish is a war and Christmas <laughs> seems to be doing fine. So I have nothing to add to this seasonal subject. Even skirmish is hyperbolic. So Bill O'Reilly plays us out with this bold, brave, patriotic Christmas cheer. Quote, remember more than 90 percent of American homes celebrate Christmas. But the small minority that is trying to impose its will on the majority is so vicious, so dishonest, and has to be dealt with. Yeah, yeah, we need we need some kind of final solution for all these anti-Christmas Ooh. folks. I wonder, yeah, 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 I wonder yeah. what that would be. Wow. They need to be dealt with. <laughs> Bill O'Reilly's right. I always love to, only in like Foxland, is it, to that. Like those fucking minorities, we gotta deal with them. They're always trying to pose their will on the, the majority. Vicious and like, dishonest the fuck? money changer minorities. There's... I wonder who they're talking oh. about. <laughs> I don't know. Not sure. So actually, the political article sums it up nicely too. Quote: Back then, at the patriotic height of the aughts, these were the kinds of dark, apocalyptic sentiments that worried liberals and made centrist figures like George Will quietly uncomfortable. A decade on, though. The war over Christmas is just something we do every year, like wrapping presents or drinking eggnog. But the hangover is giving me a nasty headache. End quote. So with that, to all our listeners, I want to say happy holidays. Oh, God, I'm going to say Merry Christmas, and I'm oh. going to see if our SJW editor Dylan silences me. I'll, nice. I'll see. Let's see. What, let's see, see if it makes the out. cut. No, I'm not going to silence you. I'll just, I'm just going to cut up. I'm just going to cut up like my, all my, you know, audio (laughs) samples that I have of you just to make you say happy Kwanzaa instead, because (laughs) I think that would be much nicer. And with, with a, with a happy Kwanzaa greeting, this ends our episode on the war on Christmas. So Brent Forrest, what did you learn in today's episode? What most stuck out? to you. I learned more about the John Birch Society and the early Henry Ford and how disgusting and horrible a person Henry Ford really was. Yeah, and how horrible UNICEF is. Scary. I learned that too. (laughs) Yeah. All the UNICEF decorations. Yeah. I actually want to get my hand on some of those decorations this year. It is nice seeing, it is funny seeing the, uh, 
the evolution of the war on Christmas from it's the Jews to it's the one worlders to it's the libtards, basically. It went from the Jews to the SJW. (laughs) That's really the there you are. That's the progression of the war on Christmas. (laughs) Pretty much. And we actually didn't get it like time to do um, some of the really, you know, smaller battles in the war, which was like the Christmas cup at Starbucks. That was a huge controversy there. Yeah, people were obsessed. I actually it's funny. I a few days ago, I uh, was at Starbucks. And their uh, holiday coffee cup said Merry Coffee, which means they want us to be literally worshiping coffee beans. (laughs) That's what it means. It's a return to paganism. Absolutely disgusting. What do you guys learn? You had to learn something here. No, learn nothing. (laughs) I think the key thing for me is how so much of the kind of rhetoric of the alt-right has remained exactly the same. So... People who are against anti-Semitism, they're just anti-Christians. Also, this idea of of coercion, this language of, you know, they were compelled, they were coerced, they forced them to do something, which is just code for they asked and they received it, you know, or they (laughs) or they argued that, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this. Like, that's exactly the same today. Like the idea like, oh, like, you know, leftists are complaining about whoever. That means it's a mob forcing them like they talk about criticism as though people were burning books, yeah. you know, like our friend Dave Rubin, for example. And it's the same. It's been the same for at least a hundred years. Yeah. It's, it's incredible to me how consistent that rhetoric yeah, is. We talked about this before, especially on the Dennis Prager, like the clown college series about how it's almost like there's this change in aesthetic, but it's just, yeah, the essential ideas just remain basically. And it's just nothing really changes. Yeah. And Since nothing ever changes, we're not going to change the ending. And that is it for our episode on the war on Christmas. And we are done. Thank you for listening to None Dare Call It Ordinary. You can find us on Twitter at NDCIO, Instagram at None Dare Call It Ordinary, and send us an email at nondarecallitordinary at gmail.com. For only $1 a month, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash ordinary. For information on all our episodes, as well as links to our YouTube channel and Discord server, head over to our website at nondarecallitordinary.com. As always, we ask that you please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, or wherever your podcasts are served. <laughs>